Hello and welcome to the HOA Show, where we discuss the news, problems, trends, and critical issues relating to life in a homeowner association. Join us every episode, and together we'll explore how to survive and thrive in the dizzying world of HOAs. Hello and welcome to the HOA Show. I'm your host, Ryan Gazelle, and in this episode, we'll be discussing social engineering risk as it pertains to common interest developments. I'm joined today by two extremely knowledgeable people, Kevin Davis of Kevin Davis Insurance Services and AJ Scott of the Klein Agency Insurance Brokers. Kevin is the president of Kevin Davis Insurance Services, which is the managing general agent for travelers insurance and is one of the largest writers of specialty insurance coverage for community associations in the country. He currently insures over 40,000 community associations. He's worked in the insurance industry for 30 years, founded his company in 2000, and has been an active participant and speaker for countless chapters of CAI ever since. AJ Scott is the Associate Vice President at Client Agency Insurance Brokers. She holds the CPCU ooh, and CIRMS designations and is also very active in CAI's Orange County chapter. Thank you both for lending your expertise today. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot. So, Kevin, before we jump into the main topic, can you explain to our listeners what exactly an MGA or managing general agent is? Do you work for travelers insurance? Are you a broker? How does it work? Sure. We're totally independent. Okay. And what we do, we put a contract together with travelers insurance to say that we have expertise in the area of condominiums, community associations in general. And we can do a great job of providing your product to community associations at a comfortable rate <laughs> um, <laughs> and give you a profit also. So what we do, our job is to make sure we understand community associations, their exposures and the things that really impact them. So A, we give them the proper coverage and B, we can charge the right amount of money premium so that B, the carrier can make some money. So you're kind of like the agent for the carrier and uh, you represent the brokers. You know what? A perfect example, like a wholesaler. You go to a wholesale market, okay? Mm-hmm. The wholesaler um, works with retailers, you know, and we're more of a wholesaler. You look at a wholesaler, that's who we are. Gotcha. And what specific areas of insurance for common interest developments does your company focus on? We focus on the specialty lines. And we talk about directors and officers, crime insurance, cyber, umbrella, those kind of coverages, those are the ones that nobody really understands. <laughs> we focus in on them so we can do a really better job for our clients, which are the retail insurance agents. Got it. And now getting down to the nitty gritty, what exactly is social engineering fraud? Okay, Social engineering fraud to me is the single most important exposure that not only community associations face, but we all face right now. And it's not even explaining to you. I'm going to tell you what happened to me one, about a year and a half ago. Okay. And I do these cyber um, exposures to community associations all across the country. I was in Hawaii a year and a half ago. Okay. As soon as I landed, my controller called me up and said, uh, how many gift cards do you want? What do you mean? What do you talk about how many gift cards you want? Yeah. How many gift cards do you want? I didn't forget. I got an email from you, you know, in your name or anything here. It says you need a gift card to give out while you're in Hawaii. I'm saying no. Wow. That's social engineering. That's what it is in a nutshell. Somebody pretending to be me. Okay. Let's buy. See, uh, my controller says I need gift cards. Okay. And this happens every single day to every single person. I don't care who you are or where you're at. It constantly happens. Okay. Now, why would that uh, example not be considered a cyber fraud if somebody's 
you know, in my head, I hear cyber, I think computers, you know, somebody obviously hacked your email in order to email your staff. Why would that not be a cyber loss? Okay. This is a great question. There's a difference between, to me, I separate cyber into two areas. There is data breach, which I consider cyber. And then it's theft of money, which I consider crime. Now, they're all cyber related, mm. but I separate it out so that one's covered under crime policy and the other one's covered under cyber and has a crime section to the policy. So I separate those two things out to make things a little clearer because most people, when you mention the word data breach, their eyes roll over. But when I say <laughs> you can lose your reserve account, your operating account, lose your credit card information, now you're talking about something that gets everybody's attention. So are we after information or are we after money? Cash, money. You're after money. Yeah. Well, no, you know what? You're after both. But again, when we're talking about today, I'm focusing more on the money part because they want that more than anything else. The sure. easiest thing to do is to, with social engineering, don't forget, social engineering really is me tricking somebody into giving me information. That's all. And once I get the information, I'm able to do something with it. The first social engineering claim that I experienced was that a landscaper was hacked. They took all his email addresses. They send them out to all the clients and say, please pay now to avoid any late fees. Here's my new bank routing number. Hmm. As soon as they said that, it's over. And all you have to do is get one or two people to send the money in. And guess what? They send the money in and you don't even know you did it. And you send the money in. It takes a couple of months before you realize the real landscaper says, I've gotten paid in a couple of months. What's going on? That creates the problem. So now then you've got a loss for two separate parties. You've got the vendor who's out the money and you've got the party that voluntarily parted with the money to the false vendor, right? Exactly. So would that be two different policies responding potentially or the same policy? No, no, because the reality, the vendor never didn't lose any money. The vendor never received any money. So the vendor just hasn't been paid. So the first party would get reimbursed for their money and then they would pay the vendor. Exactly. That's exactly how it works. Even though it was the vendor's email that was hacked and the vendor's email that sent the request for money? Yeah. Okay. Let's say the email wasn't hacked. Let's say that it was, there was no hacking. Let's say that the a person pretended to be the landscaper. And all you have to do is go to the landscaper's website, you know, just copy the letterhead, put it on a card and, and ship it and do it. That happens all the time. Uh, now, you should keep track of whoever listened to this because if they steal these ideas, you know. Mm, yeah. <laughs> then they're coming after you, buddy. <laughs> Did I sign any waiver before I started talking to you about <laughs> We'll work on that disclaimer language. <laughs> okay, thank you. So I, I really want to dial it in, though, before we move on. Uh, the difference between social engineering fraud and computer fraud, which is part of the fidelity bond, yes. and cyber liability. Yes. So the computer fraud which is part of the employee dishonesty package in one of the insuring agreements is reimbursing money, right? Yes. The social engineering fraud is also reimbursing money. Yes. The cyber liability is not reimbursing for any money. It's a data breach. That's a privacy policy might be the best way to think about the cyber piece. Perfect. Okay. Two things happen. Now, all of a sudden, let's say I, I, I was that same landscaper. And all I did was ask for money to be diverted to my new bank account. But let's say I also said, also need your ID and I need your password to update my system. Now, some people will say, wait a minute, you don't know what it is now anyway. But some people will give them that information. 
Now we have that information. Now you have a data breach. And the social engineering policy would not respond to that. No, a social engineering crime. We're talking about social engineering crime as opposed to social engineering data breach. Mm -hmm. They both are social engineering, but one we're concerned about because we're losing something that's really we need. We don't, if somebody ends up saying, you know, guess what? I need my roofs. You, you promise to pay this money and I pretend to be the contractor, roofing contractor. You send me $100,000 of the reserve account and I'm not the real roofer. That reserve money is gone. I think it's the human element that we have to, when we're dividing computer fraud from social engineering, there's that human piece in the social engineering loss, right? There's a person that has to be tricked. Exactly. There's a voluntary parting That's, of the money. Exactly. Versus a manipulation of software exclusively. Exactly. Right. Or maybe even uh, just obliviousness. You know, with an employee dishonesty policy, you're not going to be you're aware that, that it's happening. You're not going to get that call from your controller. Yeah. yeah. You didn't voluntarily part with that money. In fact, that's the key wording in the, the difference between computer theft and wire transfer fraud and social engineering is that the social engineering is with the consent of the person. So when you talk about computer theft, it's without their consent. So that means I went to my bank account, the money's missing, and it was without my consent. Uh, Where with social engineering, I consented to give you the money. That's the difference. Yeah. So the engineering aspect is the manipulation of the person. Exactly. So do all Fidelity bonds include coverage for social engineering? Well, this is, this is an interesting thing because up until about four or five years ago, nobody heard of social engineering. It was non-existent. And what happened is this, because it has to be without your consent. So we talk about computer theft and wire transfer fraud coverages. Those have always been in the policy. And the difference is that one day somebody used social engineering to steal money. And when somebody did that, you look to the exclusion in the policy and you look to the definitions and it says without the person's consent, without the company's consent. And it's really loud and clear. But when social engineering started occurring, people started being tricked. What happened was they started looking to those policies and saying, wait a minute, these are computer theft, cyber claims why you don't cover it because you gave the money away. So once you did that, a whole new industry developed is crime for social engineering. And I think it's important to point out why that voluntary parting exclusion exists in the policy in the first place. If crime policies were to cover that consensual, you know, giving away of funds, can you imagine how many claims there would be? The cost of this insurance would skyrocket. Yeah. Instead of the pennies that it currently costs. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so without that voluntary parting exclusion, there would be a moral hazard, which is a reward for doing something wrong. You'd be rewarded for giving your employer's money away. And there would also be a morale hazard, which is when carelessness is rewarded, right? And those insurance doesn't tolerate those types of hazards. That's why that voluntary parting exclusion was there in the first place. But now there's this need because there is this exposure. And it, it goes one step further. It, it's called a theft policy. You know? Right. So that means if you gave money away, it's not a theft. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. And that's the whole part is that this is actually a theft policy. And a theft means, that means you have to be an intention there. They have to intend to cause a loss. Right. Without the intention to cause a loss, there's no loss. The employee dishonesty policy is the theft policy that you're, that you're talking exactly. about specifically. Yes, and a crime policy. When we talk about a crime, we talk about theft, fraudulent, and embezzlement, all those things. You have to be an intent there to cause a loss, which means that let's say that if you talk about uh, mismanagement of money, because you hear that a lot with board of directors ah. saying that, wait a minute, my reserve account is at 100000 and should be at $400,000. And I know you got a new roof on everything, but you overpaid for the roof. 
You know, so it should be $100,000 more because you overpaid for the roof. Now, there's no theft there. There's no theft. Now, there could be theft if there is kickbacks, where you find out later that you paid somebody $50,000 and you split the difference. That's a theft. Right. So the intent to cause a loss is the key in this whole conversation. Nefarious purposes. Yes. And another question for you. So, you know, in the uh, California Civil Code, you know, fidelity bonds are now required to include coverage for the property management uh, under the definition of who is an employee. Would the same thing apply to a social engineering fraud loss? Would the property manager who, if they were to be tricked into voluntarily parting with the association's money, would it be a covered loss? Wow. Okay. That's a great question. We're talking about a coverage that's, that's evolving, okay? When coverage first started, social engineering, coverage is only provided if you made that phone call first to verify who you're sending the money to. So that was the first original concept of it, which was kind of crazy because you call up and verify it. Then, then you're, there's, there's no, no loss. loss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so then they changed that and it's okay. It's first party for the insured. So our first question is, wait a minute, the property manager isn't insured in the policy, okay? So what happens then? Well, for most policies, the property manager only covered under employee dishonesty section. Nothing else. However, what we've done is said, you know what? To make this thing work, we have to include it in all insuring agreements, computer theft, wire transfer, fraud, and social engineering. So what we have done is made sure social engineering is at the same requirements so that if the property manager now said, if he gets a fake phone call, from the board president and says, guess what? I need $3,000 right now because I'm buying new you know, pens and papers and, and I need new lights and everything. And then the money is sent. And then all of a sudden, if you find out later that that was fictitiously done, then that we covered under the association's crime policy. So what kind of pens are you buying, Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to revamp my pen collection. Well, you know what? I'm looking at the Klein fancy pens right here in front of me. <laughs> so I, I suspect their calls cost a lot more than the Klein regular pens. <laughs> so, all right. Are you seeing in the industry, I mean, you obviously write a lot of these policies that community associations are being targeted specifically for social engineering fraud? Okay. Everybody's being targeted. Right now, you're being targeted. Everybody listening is being targeted. Whenever you get an email that says, guess what? Your bank account right now is overdrawn or, you know, please put information in there. That's social engineering. They're trying to trick you into giving you information. You know, your UPS is outdated. Your Amazon card has been tricked. All that's social engineering. So we all face it every single day. I would say the worst people who are in trouble are self-managed associations. Self-managed associations are the likeliest target because they have no idea what they're doing. Okay. So they are the number one target. People will look to them because again, people know that they have operating accounts. They know they have reserve accounts. So the easiest thing to do is target them through their landscaper, through their anything they're using to say, pay me now. Here's your new bank and your rounding number. Whenever you hear those two things, you're being tricked. Okay. So it starts with the associations that are not managed. Then you have the managed associations who, that property manager, they are so busy, okay? They have so much work to do that they sometimes don't know and they end up saying yes too quickly. You know, one example we had in New York, and this happens only in New York, where they'll say, listen, we need new paintings in the lobby. The paintings we had before are old and outdated. Send me <laughs> money now for new paintings. 
I can't stand to look at this one painting anymore. <laughs> yes. Make it go away. Make it go away, yes. And you see it. And that's what happens. And again, it's been happening. It will happen. It's happened to a lot of managers right now. And they don't even know what even happened to them. They have no idea. None. Because it's hard to figure out what happened. And what they do, they count it as a loss and say, okay, well, what happened here? We don't know. Well, let's just pay it, not worry about it. Right. They think that they paid a legitimate bill. So how do you find that? It's a needle in a haystack. Exactly. Yeah. Can you provide us with some other examples you've seen in the HOA world? Well, sure. Start from the easiest ones. You start from the ones where you have the board of directors who have the budget and it has this money sitting there. Okay. And somebody on the outside who gets that, who understands that. So what they're going to do is think about, okay, how do I trick this person into giving me that access to the money? Right now, the, the, the number one way is gift cards. Interesting. The gift cards is the number one way of doing it is to, to ask our board of directors saying, guess what? The president association needs gift cards. He's going to a meeting or he, he, he needs X, whatever it is. They need it. They say, order light bulbs. I, I tell you, for some reason, getting supplies, okay, buying supplies is one of the big area for theft these days. Overall, not just for community association, but overall, because you get tricked into saying, okay, we need more X, we need more coffee, just things inside of our association. It sounds credible. Yeah, yeah it sounds credible. More pens. <laughs> and they say, they make it feel like you're a friend. Hey, hey, listen, we talked recently, you know, we're still waiting for this information you t said you can send to us. And then we, we, we believe it, we're tricked into There's it. There's some urgency there. There's urgency there. Now, here's the most important part of it, this thing, guys, this whole important part of the conversation. I would say... 90% of community associations in California do not have this coverage. 90%. And it's probably higher than 90%. Now, why do I say that? Because there's only two or three carriers that, that provide social engineering coverage. Most carriers out there do not provide it. Right. Because they have no idea what it is. And they don't even know how to even quote for it. And it goes against the principle of theft. Theft is your intent to cause a loss. So if you give money away... It's not insurable under a crime policy. It's not insurable, period. It got to be under a cyber policy. So unless you have a carrier out there who understands that it's a cyber exposure on your crime, you're in trouble. So everybody who's listening to this right now, I would say, probably does not have social engineering coverage under their crime policy. And one more thing is that the cost to add that for a $100,000 limit is about $60. It's interesting because there's a bit of an, a discomfort, right? If you're a manager, is it a little awkward for you to start explaining the need for this coverage to your like, clients? Like, case. I could be fooled, so. <laughs> just in case I voluntarily give your money to somebody else, would you insure me? But it's even more so because the property managers don't have it at all. I would be surprised if one property management company out there has social engineering coverage. I have never had a manager ask me for this coverage when I've been quoting an account. I've offered it many times. I've never had anyone ask me for it. Are there standalone policies or is it specifically just uh, an endorsement available under certain fidelity bond policies? That's exactly the problem. It's only available under certain crime insurance policies. Mm. And that's the difference. You know, it, you said the word fidelity insurance, which really creates a lot of the problem. We've been trained to see your fidelity, 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 okay? Which really means employee theft. Because historically, employee theft has been the number one problem we had across the board. And what happens now is that 
we have a significant number of non-employee-related crime claims than we ever had before. Before we knew if we, if we lost money, the employee stole it, let's get the money and move on. Now we're looking at an outsider stealing it. And in community associations, it's not just the board of directors or some certain volunteers. You're talking about past board members, okay? I mean, let's say that the past president who was president of the association five years ago doesn't like what's going on or lost his job, but still has the same password, still have the same login information. He logs in and all of a sudden he realizes that, well, guess what? I have access to the reserve account, okay? <laughs> and he steals that money. He is not an employee anymore. That's not employee dishonesty anymore. That's computer theft. Wire transfer fraud, you know? Or even social engineering, if he calls up and says, hey, guess what? My password's been outdated. I, I tried to log in. Can you update it for me? Oh, sure, here you go. And they give it to him. That's social engineering. Well, there's so much confusion surrounding the insuring agreements and how they work because you've got that first one, that employee theft piece, and that one's specific to the perpetrator, right? The individual. All of the other insuring agreements are specific to types of crimes committed by anyone in the world. Exactly, right? by non-employees. Yeah. That's the tricky part is that we were so focused for all these years on right. employee theft, and we just ignored all of the coverages. Like the positive forgery, we ignored until now we have these printers that can print checks faster than anything. And now you have wire transfer, and then you can wire transfer money and computer. You have all these different things that non-employees have access to that's creating a bigger problem for community associations and everybody across the board. It's a huge problem. I think folks also think that they can try to hold the bank responsible. Oh, yeah. Or they don't know. See, the social engineering is five years old. And so they don't even know it even exists. <laughs> you know, I mean, they still understand. They're still trying to get cyber coverage down. And now all of a sudden, right. introducing something like social engineering. So it's a concept that, you know, as insurance people, we have a difficult time understanding. You right. can try to explain it to a novice saying, you need protection because you could be tricked. First thing people are going to say, I'm smarter than that. I'm never going to be tricked. Right. Okay? <laughs> right. And then the ones being tricked. Oh, no, we're very careful. So, Kevin, are, are there specific criteria that make it a social engineering fraud loss under the policies? Yeah, you're, you're tricked. You're tricked by a somebody pretending to be a client, a vendor, an employee. Just being tricked in general. It, it's such That's a, it. it's, it, it's, it, it's a really unique concept because you don't have a lot of exclusions to it. You know, it is, have you been tricked? Somebody tricked you into doing it. You have knowledge that you gave money away. Yes. The key thing is, is that right now is that the coverage you have, the maximum limit that we put out is $100,000. Lawyers out there are tricked constantly. They, it's right now, especially because they have such large awards out there. These are things that created years and years ago. One of the first claims I ever heard was where a new CEO, and I'm sitting next to him, and he said, I just was appointed, right, as CEO of a major corporation. By the time he got there, somebody else said he tricked that new board in saying that he was the person giving me a new check, giving me my new routing number, getting my new information, and getting the bonus that I have. So all that stuff was gone before he even got there. Wow. And this is before we even knew social engineering was coverage. Okay. So what kind of warranties or safety protocols need to be in place? Are there any in order to get this coverage? Well, historically there was. That was you had to make a phone call first before this coverage would even be in effect. So if you made the phone call and you still got tricked into it, that's one thing. So I recommend anybody out there, okay, 
If you hear the words new bank number and new routing number, wake up, wait a minute, wait, what's going on here? Let me find what's going on. Make the call. Don't make the call to the person whose name is addressed on the email because they <laughs> will be the person perpetrating it. So number one thing, verify everything because it doesn't matter if you have what kind of computer system you have, what kind of security you have. I mean, backups to the backups you have. If you're tricked into sending money, it's no easier way to get money from somebody than to ask for their password and their ID. The easiest way. Hey, can you give me a password and ID? Because I'm trying to update the system. And how many people will say, yes, here it is? A lot of people will. Right. So, Kevin, I have a question. How are these claims investigated? Is there some test to determine that the employee was actually tricked versus in on the scam? Yeah, definitely. Is it an IQ test? <laughs> the amount of embarrassment in their face will tell them. Oh, it's awful. It, but it could happen to any one of yes, us is the thing. Yes. Like, I'm sure it could happen to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. And, but the difference is, don't forget, if a lot of stuff is in collusion. But if it's in collusion, then it's covered in employee dishonesty. Okay? So you just say that, you know, I pretend that I was tricked. They say, guess what? You know, this, this guy called me up and he asked for his information. He sent me to, here's the email and I was tricked and gave him $100,000. I can't believe it. Well, guess what? That's employee dishonesty, you know? And so that coverage is there already. So they'll do the research and find out, guess what? This guy knows this person on the other side. You know, it's not social engineering. It's employee dishonesty. Here's your employee dishonesty money. Make sure you fire the person or make sure, well, it's no, you know, you have to do whatever you want to do. The, the carrier just hit, here's your $100,000 back. You can do whatever you want to do to the person. However, the person commits another fraud again. He's not uninsurable, <laughs> just for the record. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> and the, the nice record. part is that if it's part of the fidelity bond policy, then it's the same carrier investigating and paying out under whatever insuring agreement it fits in. Exactly. Again, that's why it doesn't matter if it's in collusion or not. Once that person is an employee, you know, what, what will happen off the bat? That employee will be under investigation. How does this of happen? Course. And so... You know, the original, you know, what happened is that you did it on purpose. I can't believe it. Even though they'll say, well, we understand. We all have been tricked. Well, you know, as the owner, <laughs> they're going to say, uh-oh, they probably know that person. And so the investigation will be conducted and they'll find out that, okay, it's either be covered under employee dishonesty or be covered under wire transfer of fraud or computer theft. One of those categories. That's why you need all these insuring agreements. That's why you need all of them. Yeah. And, in fact, computer theft is interesting because what we'll see the difference between wire transfer fraud and computer theft is computer theft is somebody walks into the premises. Like for right now, I'm in your premises right now and I've been invited in. Okay. Now let's say on my way out, I see, you know, uh, AJ's password is still typed to her you know, desktop. It's on a sticky note. <laughs> it's on a sticky note. <laughs> yeah. And I go in there and I wire transfer money to my secret account. Okay. And I, and I leave the place. Now all of a sudden that's, that is computer theft. That means I came inside here, but you don't have no idea that I did it. You don't know. You know, I said, I'm going to the bathroom right now. You guys are still talking. Now the money is gone. That's computer theft. But it wouldn't be a wire transfer fraud because you wired it? it no, no. I, that's the difference. I came on your premises and wired it. Because they'll find out that when I lost this discovery, first thing they'll say, wait a minute, that happened from your own office there. You know, that means AJ really took the money. AJ, wait a minute, that hasn't been me. I don't, you know, yeah. But what happened, they'll find out, no, somebody else, that's different than computer fraud and wire transfer fraud. Wire transfer fraud happens. I'm home right now. And I send AJ a quick note saying, AJ, I'll be there in about an hour. Oh, by the way, give me, you know, uh, some secret information or something. Or oh, I need, you know, can you, instead of validating, can you give me $10? Um, and I find out that some information. Now I have 
that information. Now I'm wire transfer right from my house in Encino. Well, if you know any good investigators, I might not, I might need to have AJ uh, looked into <laughs> after this conversation. <laughs> so, so Kevin, in summary, what are the takeaways that folks need to know about social engineering? Summary is this. Number one, there's coverage out there available for $100,000 and less than $75. It's mandatory. You have to have it. If you are a community association, if you are a property manager or a business owner, make sure you go to your insurance professional and say, I need social engineering coverage. Number one, if you can't get the coverage, make sure that anytime anything looks suspicious, pick up the phone and say, wait a minute, landscaper, I paid you already. Why are you sending me a different one? I didn't send you anything. Be careful. It's the easiest thing to do is be tricked into giving money. It's the easiest thing, or, and, and data and information. It's easier to do that than to have you click on a link, okay? Because we're smart enough to click on a link, but we're not smart enough to say, hey, guess what? Can you update your information right now? And we go, yes, here it is. So just be aware right now that if you have that loss, the odds are it will not be covered. We're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars. You're talking about your operating account. You're talking about reserve account is what the people understand who are committing these crimes know that you have and they're after it. And I guess the last takeaway being that social engineering is a booming industry if you're looking for a new career to get into. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, It it really is. In fact, I would take Psych 101 first and then take Psychology 101, you know, take uh, Psych 210 and take all the psych classes. Then you really know how to manipulate individuals into giving them the data they need to rip you off. But I liked what you said, Kevin, that that anytime you see new account number, new routing number, let that be a red flag just waving in front of your eyes and and verify it independently with contact information you already have before you got that email. Exactly. Pick up the phone. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for sufficiently scaring us uh, (laughs) today, Kevin. Uh, If our listeners have any questions for you or they'd like to learn more uh, information like this, where should they go? I would say they contact their local insurance agent and say, I heard about social engineering. Can you get more and more information? Put the onus on them because if they don't. You come back later and say, I asked for social engineering. You didn't give it to me. Now I've lost money. It's your responsibility. All right. Well, that's our show for today. A special thanks to our experts, Kevin Davis and AJ Scott for their time and wisdom. As we end our episode, we'd like to remind our listeners that if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for topics you'd like to learn about, you can email us at feedback at hoashow.org. That's feedback at hoashow.org. Join us next time on The HOA Show. To share or subscribe to The HOA Show, visit us at hoashow.org. There, you'll be able to listen to other episodes, find helpful resources relating to HOAs, provide feedback, submit questions, and check out other great stuff. The HOA Show podcast has been made possible by the contributions of Klein Agency insurance brokers, leaders in the community association industry. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast, its presenters and guests do not constitute legal advice. For more information on how the topics in discussion apply to you, please consult with your own legal counsel.